Our reading this morning is from Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's some at the back. I'm just going to help yourself. And if you need a Bible, feel free to take it home with you. Um, let's remind ourselves that when we read the Bible, we are reading the living word of God. God reveals himself primarily through scripture. And so the Bible shapes and guides everything we do as God's people. So, Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20, titled The Great Commission. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Good morning. So it's good to see some of you that I uh, uh, know but don't get to see very often. And um, uh, I'm happy about that. I'm also happy that there's people here I don't know. Um, not that I'm happy I don't know you, but um, <laughs> happy, to get to know, happy to get to know you. But um, it just uh, means that uh, since the last time I've been here, there's new people, um, which is great. So uh, if I don't know you, you don't know me. Um, my name's Lucas. Um, I help lead the team with Village, and, but most of the time I'm, I'm over at East. Um, and so I try to come over here um, periodically just to uh, enjoy you guys. So um, it's really glad to be, uh, I'm glad to be here this morning. Uh, we're finishing up uh, this three-week series that we've been on kind of called Family Traits. Um, each family kind of has different traits. Um, I don't know about your family. My family, uh, one of our traits is volume. And so you will typically hear a parks before you see them. Um, my brother might be the exception to that rule, but everybody else kind of falls into that category of, of seen, of heard before being seen. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely not an exception to that, so um, you'll get to listen to me this morning. But, um, but at Village, we really uh, have been unpacking our uh, vision statement, mission statement, um, that we desire to be a community uh, 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 that's shaped by the gospel, um, that we want to uh, be the kind of people that the gospel not just informs uh, how we will pass into eternity, but, but how we spend our days um, within that. We want to be a community that... Uh, love each other, um, that, that we love Jesus. Um, so we are that community. We looked at that last week. And then um, this week, we're looking at uh, as we love our city, um, as we join God in the renewal of all things. Um, and so this is what we're going to look at today primarily is mission, but not just mission, mission um, through community. And so let me just ask you this question. When you hear the word evangelism, um, what emotions do you kind of uh, feel? Um, like if I told you, hey, we're going to go out and do evangelism, um, how, how does that make you feel? Um, for me, um, sometimes and in, in my life and even now, that word, like I'm like, oh, man, it depends on what you mean by that, right? Because I can feel a bit nervous, maybe a sense of dread, uh, a sense of fear. Um, I've seen other people do evangelism. It makes me cringe a bit. Uh, might, maybe you feel ill-prepared. Um, within that? I think those are all common when we, when we hear that word. Or what about the word mission? 
That doesn't seem too bad because missions usually somebody else does and they go far away to do it. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. It means I give somebody money and they're kind of good to go and I'm off the hook. So, um, but all of these things are things that we are called to. Um, and, but maybe some people are really keen. Um, and that might be an indicator of you that God has gifted you with um, this desire and gift of evangelism. So some people are really keen. They're like, yes, evangelism, let's go. Um, some people are too keen. You know, we've all, we've all met that person, right, that's always trying to, like, find that, like, inroad to the gospel, um, even if it's really awkward, like, mm, this pizza's really good. Yeah, it is. You know what else is good? Not burning in hell forever. You're like, okay, that might be, that might be an awkward strategy for uh, evangelism. As much as we should be caring about the eternal state of our souls, there surely might be a better way to do this. And so what I want to do really is look at two parts this morning. Uh, the first part will be very brief and quick because I'm gonna, uh, we're going to assume some things a little bit there. And the second part is where we'll spend most of our time. So this first part, I want us to just think about the principle of mission. It's like, are, are we really responsible for these things? Um, has God entrusted these things to us? And so we started with Matthew 28 this morning. Let me just revisit that. This is Jesus. These are the last words he says to his disciples uh, before he ascends to the right hand of the Father in heaven. Um, and so he comes and he says to them, his followers that are gathered, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority. And because of that, then he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So you're to go and make disciples. And what they're to do is they're baptized in, and then you are to lead them in practicing the way of Jesus as a disciple. And that's what our job is. That's what that he told us to do. But then he assures us. He's like, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. So you go, but you go empowered by me. I'm with you. My spirit will be with you and upon you. 2 Corinthians 5 Um, Paul unpacks this a little bit more. This is what he says. He says, for the love of Christ controls us, or or it motivates us. That's it's it's our love for Jesus, right? And this is in our in our mission statement. We want to be a community that love that love Jesus and love each other. And the reason we love each other is because we love Jesus. And maybe more accurately, because he's loved us. So for the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this: that one, that's Jesus, has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard them no longer. So what he's saying, what he's saying is we're not going to regard people. Oh, well, you're a Jew. You're a Gentile. You're of this ethnicity. You're of that. We're not, we're not going to judge people. We're not going to accord them to the flesh, our worldly kind of standards anymore. He says, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Our identity in Christ trumps all of these other kind of identities and nationalities. We're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, this is the part I want us to see. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So if you're a Christian today, you're a Christian because Jesus and his accomplished work on the cross reconciled you to God and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus reconciles us to God through his death and resurrection, and then he gives us that same ministry of reconciliation. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal 
through us. That's, that's crazy. God has entrusted me and you with the message of reconciliation. God is making his appeal to humanity, to the world, and how he's doing that is through his people. His people that have experienced that already. His people who carry with them the power of the resurrection. The very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that now inhabits us, his people, the Holy Spirit. Imagine that. I don't, I don't often, um, I don't remember that enough. I remember my job as a pastor, right? That, but that's different in, in a lot of ways of, of that's like this shep, under-shepherd role that I have, but I'm also just a sheep, like you. I'm just a sheep. I'm also just an ambassador. God making his appeal just through ordinary people, through these ordinary means, through all of us. And this is what, that's what ambassadors do, right? Ambassadors are from one kingdom, one country, but they, are, they live in another one. But they're there living in a foreign country to represent the interests of their home country. They're not there as a citizen of the country they live in. They're there temporarily. They're there as a visitor. They're there really just to represent where they're actually from. And this is us. So it doesn't matter if you think you're British or you're Irish or you're American or Australian or African. Like, as a Christian now, we have new, hello, how are you doing? We have new identity in Christ. We see ourselves primarily, so I've got uh, Two, soon to be three passports. Um, so I, I have dual citizenship, really I have tri-citizenship. Um, it makes me confused a lot of the times. But, but all of those things are just how I get around on earth. My primary identity, my primary citizenship is one of heaven. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. And I'm here on this earth temporarily as a visitor. This is not my home. This is not your home if you're a Christian. I'm here as an ambassador. And so are you. We're here really representing our king and his kingdom. We're here to advance the cause of his king, of our king, and our kingdom. This is how Peter says it in 1 Peter 2. He says, but you are a chosen race, <coughs> excuse me, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, God's own possession. Why? Why are we these things? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's called for himself a people. God's always wanted a people. He's always intent to have a people to whom and through whom he can reveal himself. And that's us. He's revealed himself to us through his word, through his spirit, through the person of Jesus. He's reconciled to himself, and now he is with his people revealing himself through us. That's how your neighbors, that's how your family, it's how your coworkers, it's how your kids will know who Jesus is. Through you, through us as a people. He says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, again, this isn't our home, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So abstain from earthly, worldly things. Remember you're a citizen of, of somewhere else. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, among this foreign country that we all live in, honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Notice that we're to proclaim the excellencies of him, and our conduct is to match that. It's, it's both and. It's proclaiming and living as. 
people that are part of a chosen uh, of a people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation that's made up of every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity. Um, if we're Christians, there shouldn't be a sectarian racist bone in our body. Why? Because we, the kingdom of God is made up of every tribe and tongue. Um, if, uh, if you go onto our website, especially if you're kind of new or if you come to an intro class, um, we kind of unpack um, our values. So every church, every church should in some ways be very similar, right? They should teach the Bible. We should all kind of hold to the same doctrine. But every church has a little bit of a different culture, a different personality, things that they feel God has called them specifically to. Um, so these are two of those that pertain to us today. So I think, they're, I think they'll be on the screen. So the first one, and this is, uh, is mission through community. So in Matthew 28, we read that, the Great Commission. Jesus sends his disciples with authority to show people what true life looks like. They weren't called to do it individually or only as individuals, but mainly as a community. We are committed to communicating the gospel message in the context of a gospel community. We want people to experience church as a network of relationships rather than a meeting you attend or a place that you enter. This is really important for us. We want people to experience the church not as this building, not as a building in East Belfast or any other building for that matter. This is just a building that we meet in. I try to not use the language of calling this place the church. I know that sounds pedantic, but words matter. So I call, I, I call our church buildings what they are. I'm like, well, that's the building. It's the reason why we call this our gathering and not like a service. This isn't a, we're not providing a service to consumers. We are gathering the church, this local expression of the church together. So it's mission through community. We want people to experience church as it's meant to be, a network of relationships. Our second value that pertains to what we're looking at today, reconciliation and renewal. In Christ Jesus, we are in the business of seeking his kingdom, which is one of redemption and restoration. The gospel is not just about soul saving. It is about that. Don't mishear that. We're not getting rid of that. It is about that, but it's not just about that. It's about whole life redemption. God is making all things new. Present tense. Villages seeking to be a part of that story and passionately believe this is good news. It's good news for this island, for Belfast, and for the streets and neighborhoods that we live in. And in a unique city where peace isn't taken for granted, where consumerism is becoming the religion of the masses, and where identities and relationships are unclear, we believe Jesus Christ is where new life is found. We want to be about that. We want to be about seeking reconciliation, both horizontally between people and communities, but vertically, between us and God. And those things happen together. We believe that it's Jesus Christ that brings us together as well. Here's the bottom line. And then we'll move on to the second part of practice where I want to spend most of our time. The bottom line is that Christians whose love for the Lord Jesus flows from new hearts, kept soft by the Holy Spirit, have an instinctive desire to commend their Savior to others. Right? It means if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is, is in you. He's kept your, our hearts off. We should have an inclination, a desire to commend Jesus to other people. Or, or at, at least we should want to want to. Right? Um, otherwise, we slip into kind of the spirit of the age where it's a consume. We, we approach church as, as, as a consumer. Church is something different from us. So I'm not the church. Church is external to me. I've got work. 
I've got my friends, I've got sport, I've got hobbies, whatever it is, and then church is just one of those things. And so then I approach it that way, and then I expect it to do certain things for me, right? So I expect it to make me, you know, uplift me, make me feel good, meet some needs, um, you know, maybe take away some guilt, whatever it may be, give me, you know, some friends, something to do, uh, and, and that's it. But that's not how the Bible views Christianity at all. Um, the, or, or the church at all. We are the church. Church is, is who we are. It's our identity. So out from that flows us going to work and going to school and playing sport and doing your hobbies and going to the pub and going to gigs and whatever it is that we do, we do that as the church. And as we do those things, just ordinary people doing ordinary things, it's our job that we take the kingdom of God with us, along with us. So let's look at, at some of that. Let's look at the practice of mission. That's where I want to spend most of our time. Our conviction at Village is that Christians are called to a dual fidelity. Two things that we're to be faithful to uh, when we think about this. One, the core content of the gospel, and then secondly, the primary context of a believing community. So let's unpack those a little bit. First, the content, um, uh, the core content of the gospel. As we've seen even in the, in the, in the uh, scriptures that we've looked at this morning, the gospel is a spoken word. Um, there's a, a quote that gets attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, um, and it's something along the lines of um, preach the, go- the gospel always and use words when necessary. Now, I, I, I don't know he actually said that or not. And I, I understand that that could be a corrective against some of the, the gospel is only shared. You know, we stand on the corner. We do the, it's only a word that's ever spoken. And, and that could be a corrective against that. I don't, think, I don't think the quote in and of itself is very helpful because the gospel is always spoken. Yes, it should be in demonstration, it's in word, but it's also always spoken, it's always explained. Part of that is because what people can see in our lives is implications of the gospel, but it's not, it's not the full picture of what's there, right? So they see that you have hope, but you have to tell them why you have that hope and how you have that hope. And this is exactly what Jesus did. This is uh, Mark 1, this is the very beginning of Jesus starting his public ministry, uh, Mark 1, 14 and 15, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. It's a proclamation. The gospel is a word. It's spoken. It's proclaimed. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of, a, of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Right? So the gospel is a word spoken and it requires a response. And that re- response would be one of repentance and faith. And it's that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's a gospel that points to grace, that we repent and we believe in the gospel. It's not just, the gospel isn't just pointing to our works as, as a community. Now, people should see our good works, and, but they should do that as they then glorify the Father. And that connection between our works and them glorifying the Father is the explanation of the gospel. They can see your works, they can admire you, they can do all those things, but it doesn't get them to glorify the gospel and uh, to get them to glorify God until the gospel is explained and proclaimed. Again, in Mark 1, later on, um, Jesus has done all of this, uh, all these miracles, he's healed people, and, and uh, then he goes away to pray as he often does. And uh, Simon and those who are with him search for him. This is Mark 1.37. And they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. And what's Jesus' response? Jesus has healed people, powerful demonstration of the power of God. Everyone wants more. They're looking for him. And his response is, let's go. 
we got to get out of here. Why? Verse 38, he said to them, let us go on to the next towns. Why? That I may preach there, for that is why I came out. That's why he's going public. The healing wasn't the primary reason why he was revealing himself as the Messiah. They were demonstrations of the good news of the gospel, but they weren't a full picture of the gospel. What he was preparing to do, the reason why he came wasn't primarily to heal people. People get healed and they still die. He primarily came to give his life on the cross, be raised from the dead, ascend to the Father so that you and I could be healed of the thing that will... It's not the first death. If you remember from Revelation that we have to fear, it's the second death. That's what Jesus comes to heal. And he does that through the core of the gospel. God is at the center of the gospel, not us and not our needs that are met by Jesus, although he meets our needs, and it's incredible, and we can invite people to that. But it is God that's at the center of the gospel. We, we repent of our rebellion, of our sin, that Jesus takes the consequences of himself on, on the cross in his death. We respond in faith and repentance to his lordship, and thus experience then the inbreaking of his kingdom. The kingdom of God is at hand, of his kingly rule, of life, of love, of freedom, that leads us into human flourishing. That's why we're to teach them to obey all that he's commanded us, because that actually leads to freedom. It leads to goodness. It leads to human flourishing. The gospel is about God exercising his life-giving rule through his son for his glory. And the benefit of that is it's also our joy. So the context, that's the first thing that we are called to dual vitality of, uh, sorry, content of the gospel. The second one then is the prime, and, and none of that probably would surprise you in the church, right? I, most churches, I think, would, would say all of that. This might be where we start to see things a little bit different. Second, the gospel community is central in evangelism and mission. The word creates and nourishes the gospel community, the church, while the community proclaims and embodies the word. It's the word that produces us, and then we embody that and we proclaim that word. And that's how, as we do that, the word continues to increase us. Jesus asserted the centrality of the community in the evangelistic task during his very final night on earth. So he's gathered his disciples together. And this is their last um, meal that they have with Jesus before his death. And this is what he says. This is in John 13, verse 33. Little children, get a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I have said to the Jews, so I also now say to you, where I am going, you, can't, excuse me, you cannot come. And a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. How are people supposed to know that you're the, the followers of Jesus? How are people supposed to know that you are the people of God. This is Jesus, last meal before his death. This new covenant that he establishes, this new command, is that we are to love as the people of God each other. And as people witness that, that's how they know. What's the purpose of this self Sacrificing love, Don Carson puts it this way. He says, the new command is not only the obligation of the new community 
to respond to the God who has loved them and to set them free by offering a son. So the way we love each other isn't just a response to God's love, although it is, but it's not the only obligation. Neither is it merely their response to his gracious choice of them as his people. It is a privilege which, when rightly lived out, proclaims the true God before a watching world. The way we love each other proclaims God to a watching world. That is why Jesus ends his injunction with the words, all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Before his disciples were to be preachers, before they were to be leaders, before they were to be church planters, his disciples, us, are to be primarily lovers. We're to love one another. We're to care for one another. And this is the test, Jesus says, of whether or not they've really known Jesus. This is the test. How do you know if you've understood the gospel? How do you know if you've experienced its power? Jesus says it's, it's, if you have, you'll love your brothers and sisters sacrificially. You'll love them the way that Jesus has loved us. He's laid down his life for us. Our love for one another, to the extent it, it, it imitates the love of Jesus for us, is evangelistic. The problem might be that how often do people actually see that? How often do they witness that? Because a lot of our public witness as the church, I would venture to say, doesn't reflect that very often. Some of that's not our fault. The media isn't like clamoring to, to come to cover all the good stuff that happens within churches as we love each other and support one another. It, it, sometimes that leaks out and, you know, they'll, they'll report it. It's usually when we're against something or when we have, you know, something to say. So I, I get it's not all on us. This is how Paul, um, listen, this isn't just Jesus. It, it works its way down into his disciples, right? Paul says this in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, <coughs> excuse me, um, verses 4 to 8. He says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, right? It's a spoken word, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So why do we do this? It's because our motivation, as Paul says, we are controlled by love, the love of Christ. For we never came with words of flattery, and as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But how were they? So he's talking about how they came with the gospel to them. It wasn't with some kind of pretext. It wasn't because they needed to gain something um, from them. It was because of the love of God that motivated them to do that. But how did they come in verse 7? But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, though they did that, the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. We came with gentleness, nurturing, caring for you, just as a mother does for her kids. We did this not just to share the gospel, but to share our lives. Why? Because we had genuine affection for you. And it's that genuine affection in the context of a community of people experiencing that that was allowing them to share the gospel. Mission takes place as people see our love for one another and then invite them into that loving relationship. It means the life that we have together, the life that we share together as a church actually counts. It counts for something. Again, 
this is Jesus' prayer in John 17. And again, this is, this, is, this is the last chapters before his crucifixion. This is winding down. And this is his high priestly prayer that he, he's praying. So he's praying, he's praying for his disciples, the 12, right before him. But he also prays for us. Listen to what he says. He says, I, this is his prayer. I do not ask for these only, that is his immediate 12 disciples, but for those who will believe in them through their word. That's us. That's, that's all the disciples that have come because of that. So that includes us. So this is Jesus. And what is his prayer for us? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. How will the world believe that you have sent me? That they are one. That they have unity. That they actually love one another. <laughs> the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Our unity, our oneness, our love for one another Jesus wants that, desires that, prays for that for us so that the world might know that Jesus was sent by God and loved them. That's how we're ambassadors. It's not just, it's not just the words that we say, although that's part of that. We've already established that. But it's the context in which people are hearing the message. And it's not just one as they pass by on a street as we yell at them. It's not just the message that we hand them in a track and whatever it may be. It's, it's actually them seeing that lived out. What are the implications of this in your life? Them experiencing church as that network of relationships, of people actually loving and caring for one another and being invited into that. Why? Some kind of pretext? Well, that's because we got to grow the church. We got to make it bigger. We got to, no, none of that. Paul says we did that because of our affection for them. Mission was driven by their love. That's why we say in our mission statement, we want to be a community that's shaped by the gospel, who love Jesus, who love one another, and our city as we join God in the renewal of all things. And it starts in that order. We love Jesus. We experience his love. We then love each other. And out of that then becomes the context for how we love our city. We need to be communities of love. And others need to not just see that, but need to experience that. And so how do, how do we do that? How do people experience that? Mission can't only be one-on-one. We're, unbeliever, we're unbelievers just to experience you as an isolated Christian. What they need to experience is the Christian community of love. Um, our, our experience here, it's not, and these aren't the only way. This is our primary way. So let me just make that clear now, right? You might have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone um, in a kind of moment that they're never going to experience the, the community uh, in, in that kind of way, right? The typical kind of like sitting next to the person on the airplane. Stranger, never going to see him again. They live in a different city. They're, you can't invite them into the community. Well, I guess I can't share the gospel then. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not right. Like you can still plant seeds. You can water seeds. But someone else is going to have to like, right? So that's, that's not what I'm saying. We should be willing to share the gospel with anyone, anywhere, under any circumstances, at any time. The primary way, though, that we as a local church together do that is by people experiencing the community. It's not the only way. It is our primary way. 
And often people are, are attracted to the Christian community first before they're attracted to the Christian message. Certainly that's been the case um, uh, uh, at, at our church. Um, for people who have actually, so some of you have, have, are, are Christians and have joined Village, but you've moved here, you've moved to this part of the city for whatever reasons, kind of whatever. But for the people who did not know Jesus, were not looking to go to church, weren't interested in going to church, and have come to faith, been added to the body, been baptized, and they're now part of Village, those kind of folks, almost all of them exclusively, bar one that I can think of, came to like a missional community first. They were way more attracted to the Christian community than they were the Christian message. It was in that community that they heard, experienced, and saw the gospel lived out, where it became real and tangible, something that they could then experience and say yes to. It doesn't always happen that way, because God saves people however he wants, whenever he wants, through whatever means he wants. But for us in our context, in our city, in our time that he's placed us, and I think as, as we've seen in the scripture, this is the primary um, way. Um, our danger now, so in, the, in those early days of a village, so we planted village literally a few hundred yards from here in Timby Park. Shout out to Timby Park, folks. And uh, there's a few of you. Awesome. So I used to live there. We started in our living room with Tim and Leanne, um, who are here, John and Jenny. Um, John's been over here some, pretty some one of our elders. It uh, wasn't long after till uh, Andrew and Haley um, joined us. They were all just dating, not each other. I mean, <laughs> they were dating their now wives, just to make that clear. It wasn't some weird, like, you know, thing going on um, within that. But we really just started a missional community. We didn't meet on Sundays. We started a Bible study in our living room. Um, and essentially, we started a missional community. We outgrew that living room. We then, um, Tim and Leanne, started meeting in theirs with some folks. We met in ours with some folks, and we would all meet together on a Sunday night. Um, uh, we had to rent space in a pub for a while, and then we rented space from another church for a while, and then eventually, fast forward, God's given us two buildings now that we meet in, and things, you know, on Sundays look a little different than they are now. We, the more people you have, the more you have to kind of be organized. Feels, things feel a little more formal and less organic, but at the heart of all of that, we still want to be the same way we started Village, a network of relationships that we're inviting people into. And the danger is once you start to get big enough and established enough, we start to, that consumer mindset can kind of come in where I'm coming not as part of the church to advance the kingdom of God, but I'm coming here to receive kind of services, or I like that program, or I like this, or I like that. I'll go to that. I won't go to this. And we, we start to then institutionalize church. And instead of church being a family or a community of people, it becomes this institution that we kind of engage with at a completely different kind of level. So there's three strands for us of mission, evangelism, being the people of God as we see it. It, it, Use whatever language you want to use. Um, So those three strands, if you think of like a rope, um, a rope uh, with three strands, and those strands are kind of braided together, and that gives the rope its strength. And so one, building relationships. So that's just you being friendly to other people, being kind, going out of your way to build relationships, being intentional to build relationships. Two, sharing the gospel. And then three, introducing people to community. It's that three-stranded cord that we, we want to be about. And, and I want us to avoid imposing some kind of logical sequence. 
those aren't in any particular kind of order. They, God just uses them. They happen at different times. You might not be involved in all of those. They, but it's these three things kind of woven together. And this model of evangelism, the nice thing about this is it gives a role to all of God's people. Right? Not all of us are as eloquent as, as, as some other folks. I mean, Paul actually was probably according to himself, not eloquent. He's like, I didn't come with eloquent words, and I just came demonstrating the power of the gospel. Not everybody is eloquent. Not everybody is engaging. Not everybody might be quick thinking on your feet, which are all the qualities that we think we have to have for evangelism, right? What if they ask me this? What if they have this question? What about the dinosaurs? How old is the earth? What about, like, did Jonah really get swallowed by a whale? Like, you know, we're like, ah, I don't know. Like, um, and so we're like, ah, forget it then. I'm not going to engage with anybody because I don't have answers for all those questions, and I don't know those, and you don't have to, right? Not all, not all people are good at speaking to strangers. Some of us form new relationships faster and more naturally than other people. But the, but the cool thing about evangelism in this community is all the gifts of the body are able to be used. God gives us all gifts. He doesn't give each of us all gifts. He gives the body all gifts, So everyone has a part to play. The extrovert, the introvert, the eloquent, the awkward. If you're like, ah, we don't have any awkward people in our group, you're probably the awkward one then. (laughs) Every group has an awkward one, right? The young, the old, it doesn't matter. Like, we, we all get to kind of play our part. I may introduce my friend to the community, but it may not be, it may be somebody else that shares the gospel with them. And maybe somebody else who like, hey, you want to go out for coffee? Or it's other relationships then that start to get built. When mission is a community project, our different gifts and personalities actually get to complement one another. That's the way the body is supposed to work. Here's, here's, the, here's the truth of the matter. Most, not all, most gospel ministry involves ordinary people, that's you and me, doing ordinary stuff, shopping, eating meals, working, whatever you do for leisure, going out for coffee, going to your book club, whatever it may be. We just, ordinary people doing ordinary stuff, but with gospel intentionality. And that's the key ingredient, right? I remember in those early days, and even now still, like when we think about our churches broken down into missional communities, I'll explain that in case, in case you're new. We have our gathering, that's this, that's us, all of us together. Um, but then we meet throughout the, the week uh, in smaller communities. Missional, we call them missional communities. Um, and within that, then, we study the Bible together, we read together, we pray together. Um, we do all those sorts of things, right? Um, so I've been a part of churches before they did that, and we call them small groups or house groups or life groups or connect groups or whatever. We're really good at marketing. So we have all these different names for these different things, right? So you can call them whatever you want to call them. We decide to call them missional communities because that's the other ingredient that we want to be a part of that. These aren't just groups for Christians to get together and kind of feel good about themselves and to grow and as a disciple. They are that, but they can't only be that. They need to be these open groups that we're constantly with gospel intentionality thinking, how do our friends that don't know Jesus, how could they be a part of this? How could they get in on this? Um, I confess that right now, my missional community really isn't one. It's a good community, but it's grown really quickly as a lot of people have kind of joined it. And so there's been this like, okay, we're just trying to get to know each other a wee bit here. And then I was sick last year. So that kind of like changed things as I was trying to lead it. And right now we do a, we do a killer Bible study and we do some killer food. 
But that's kind of about it. Like, we haven't really figured out, okay, now how do we, like, how do we actually get this going to where we're drawing other people into this and being intentional with the gospel on mission? And so that's our challenge. Part of our other challenge with this is my group's just too big. There's just too many people for us to actually, there's just no more room for new people. So we need to multiply our group, um, which can be hard. It can be difficult, especially if you're in a group where you do this well. It should be hard because you've, you've really loved each other well. <laughs> like you've developed those relationships. And now because of mission, because of the gospel, we're going to change that a bit. We're going we're gonna to create more space and new people to come in. So my group uh, that I lead needs to do that. But ordinary stuff with gospel intentionality. So what are the, some of the things that like, we've done on mission? We've done like coffee tastings, beer tastings. We've hosted like house gigs, barbecues. Um, we've organized rides for people who like to cycle and go on cycles together. Um, people play sport together, watch sport together. Um, there's been book clubs that have been started. Part of it is just like, well, what, what, are, what are the things that you like to do? What are the things your friends like to do? Well, let's do that then together, but let's do that with gospel intentionality. That intentionality of getting to know people, actually loving for them, caring for them, meeting their needs. Some of the other things you could add, this is like helping people move, helping people after they've had babies, right? Some of you are young parents and you're like, I can't add anything else to my life. If you want me to like do evangelism and mission, I just need to sleep. But guess what? You don't have to do anything else. Just keep doing what you're doing. And those around you in your community, come alongside and help them and draw people in as you do that. Sometimes it's just being a regular, faithful presence. Part of gospel intentionality is just being faithfully present in spaces over periods of time. Um, one of, the, one of the people that come to my mind for me, just personally, and I don't tell this story as I'll look at me, pat on the back. I'm just, hopefully you just see how easy this is. Um, so I'm a pastor. means I don't, you know, means I've got some flexibility in how I spend my time or really where I spend my time. So I know you all think we just hang out and drink coffee most of the time anyway. So um, part of that is we do, but we do it with gospel intentionality. <laughs> so this is what I mean by that. Faithful presence, right? So there's a cafe, you would all know it. Most of you have probably been in it. Um, but we, we used to frequent there a lot. Um, village, there was people that came to village that were baristas there. Uh, and so I would go there often to work. And I would study there. I'd bring a laptop. I would do whatever, drink coffee. And, um, and just being present and then having people from village work there and be good employees, I got to know the owner, um, one of the owners. And um, through that, just sitting there, and uh, he's, he's an entrepreneurial guy, so he started these businesses. He's got several of these now in the city. And, um, and then he saw us, like, planting a church. Now, he's got some church background, but he was not a believer. And so he's watching this kind of with, with I think, uh, interest and watching our church kind of grow. His business was kind of growing. There was some overlapping people involved. And so I'd hang out. And so he, would just, he was curious. And he would just sit and we'd ask questions and he would like this, that, and the other. And I just got to know him as a person, as a friend. Um, we knew each other about, about each other's lives to some degree uh, within that. And it was just through that that I literally just got to sit and explicitly explain the gospel to him several times. And usually it was in the area of like the difference between the good news of Jesus and like the bad news of religion. So like religion can go bad at times. We've all kind of been disillusioned by the church at times. But the, the reality of, of Jesus and what Jesus has accomplished, and, and not talking as much about church, but really talking about Jesus. 
and had several opportunities to do that. Um, and then after a, a while later, I thought he was married the whole time because he's got three beautiful kids. He's been with the same woman the whole, the whole time. He's like, hey, do you do weddings? And I'm like, well, yeah, that's kind of part of the deal. And, and he's like, would you? I'm like, why? You know someone need to get married? You know, kind of joking around with him. And he's like, yeah, me. And I was like, you're not married? He's like, no. He's like, we've been together for like 15 years, have kids. He's like, but I didn't want to marry her because she's from like a wealthier family. And I didn't want her dad thinking I was marrying her for money. Whatever. It's not part, important part of the story. But I got to actually go and perform his wedding. I got to sit down and, and again, through that, explain the gospel. I said, listen, I'm a Christian minister. I do Christian weddings. This is what this means. He's like, yeah, 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 all for that. Like, we want that. And so I wish I could tell you now he's been baptized and he's part of the church and there he is right here (laughs) but that story isn't ended yet it hasn't come to that part yet um he's you know uh, watched us kind of go through cancer and was very kind and he's like so but all of that was just because i kept showing up at the same place that's it i I didn't i didn't do anything special i was just there but i was there with some intentionality so i could have just laptop up headphones on and the whole time But I was trying to be aware. I was trying to be present. I was trying to make relationships. It's that easy. You could do that with people at work. You can do that with your neighbors. You can do that. Some of the questions that we might ask, and this is, I'm almost done. In our our communities, you're like, well, what does that look like? How could that, what would that look like for our missional community or the neighborhood that I live in? Here's four good questions that I think help. One, what is good? What's good in your neighborhood, in your community that already exists? So many times the church wants to recreate uh, the wheel. We're like, well, no, there's good things that are already happening in our neighborhood. Um, maybe, it's a, maybe there's already a book club that you can get involved in. Or maybe there's an after-schools homework club in the community center or whatever it may be. That we go, hey, we'll, we'll put some wind in the sails of that. We'll start attending that. We'll, that's a good chance to get to do stuff we like already, serve the community, meet new people. So what is good? Secondly, what is broken? Are there things in the community that aren't necessarily bad, but they're just broken? That might be systemic kind of stuff um, within that. Uh, what are things in, in our community that, that are broken, that need to be redeemed um, within that, that we could get involved in? Thirdly, what is bad? So there are just bad things. Evil exists in the world, and some things need to be um, uh, you know, opposed or, or, or worked against. Um, so South Belfast is, has, is a notorious part of the city for like human trafficking or whatever it may be. Um, that we might be able to be involved in and make relationships that way. And then fourthly, what's missing? Is there something missing from your community? You know what this community really needs that it doesn't have? Maybe we as the people of God get to be involved in that. Let me just uh, close um, with this verse from Ephesians 3, because it's, it's a staggering, um, there's a staggering phrase in here. This is Paul uh, he's explaining the, the privilege it is that he gets to, to, to do what he gets to do as an apostle. He says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Can you just hear in his voice how much Jesus means to him? And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purposes that he had realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. And hope we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you to not lose heart over what I am suffering for, for you, 
which is for, which is your glory. Did you hear that though? Paul's suffering. They're being persecuted. They're going through hard times. And he's like, man, it's just been a privilege to be able to be an apostle, to be able to preach the good news of Jesus. To be able to explain, to bring light to everyone, what was this plan of the mystery hidden ages as God? This, this mystery that was hidden is that God's people wouldn't just be ethnic Jews, but it eventually would include the Gentiles. That's everybody else on the planet. That he would make a, a royal priesthood, one people, one nation. He says, that, this mystery, that I get to be part of re- revealing that so that through the church, that's through us, through you, if you're a Christian here today, you, the church, the manifold wisdom of God may, may, might be made known. That's crazy, isn't it? The way in which you and I live our lives, the way in which we get to actually explain the gospel to people is God's plan to reveal his manifold wisdom to the earth and also to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Can you just imagine that? Like Jesus and Satan having a conversation. If I'm Satan, I'm like, seriously, this is your plan? These guys? This guy? That's your plan? And she's like, yeah. Manifold wisdom going to get revealed right through these guys. If, I'm, you know, if you're Satan, you're like, well, this is going to be a cakewalk. Like, easy peasy. And yet Jesus says the gates of hell won't prevail against us. Amen. So take heart, as Paul says. Don't lose heart. Hey, our culture's changing, though. It's not, it's not the same. People don't see Christianity in a favorable light anymore. It doesn't matter. That's the way it's always been, by the way. So if we'd enjoyed some kind of privileged position as the church, that's, that's an anomaly. That's not, that's not world history. That's not the human experience as Christians. We now get to join in with the rest of our brothers and sisters around the world. We just get to be faithful to who Jesus is, love one another, even in the face of being persecuted, even in the face of imprisonment with Paul. He's like, no, this is all part of God's plan to reveal himself. It's for his glory. It's for your joy that we get to participate in that. That's my prayer for us is that we would would accomplish these things. Real quickly on this screen here, um, we'll end with this. This is just kind of, we've, these three weeks that we've looked at gospel community mission, these kind of principle. This is the kind of person then of who we want to be. We want to be disciples. Um, our practices to do that are, are this Sunday gathering. Village Academy, we're, we're renaming that and calling it equip. That's going to be some midweek kind of a, equipping that we're, that we're rolling out. Men's and women's retreats, things like that. We want to be a community. The shape that we think about then is a circle, a table. Um, that's our MCs, where family meals happen, core groups happen. We get together socially, prayer and worship nights. And then the mission, we think of the public square. So the missional focus of our missional communities, justice of initiatives, uh, the walkway center, which is a community center next to East Belfast, um, personal evangelism, church planting. Like all of these things all start with ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Most of what's on that screen is that. It's just us being intentional with the gospel. This is where we want to live. Next one. This is is where we're going to end. Um, This screen, this kind of Venn diagram, where gospel, community, mission, where they all come together, that's where we want Village to exist. These are our our core family traits. This is what we want to be about. We don't want to overcomplicate it. As we grow, will there be other things that we do and add? Sure. But they all want to serve these purposes. They all want to serve this in the end. And we never want to lose that core of who we are.
a people that love Jesus, love each other, and are on mission as we, as we love and serve our city, as we join God in the renewal of all things, that he is making all things new. And while that hasn't come to its full fruition yet, he's in the process of doing that now. And he's doing that as he reveals his manifold wisdom through ordinary people doing ordinary things, us living our lives with gospel intentionality. Let me pray.